God is good, amen? amen? And I love the Sabbath. I love Friday night because it's a wonderful time just to bask in God's goodness. Why don't we begin with the word of prayer? I know God is going to bless us with his Holy Spirit and give a message to us that's very personal. Let's bow our heads and let's just take a moment of silence just to pray in our heart and ask Jesus to send the Spirit. Father, you said in Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that you are God. Right now, God, we just want to pray and ask that our hearts would be still so that the voice of God could be heard. We pray, Lord, for the present blessing. We pray that our hearts would be so stirred that when we walk away from this place tonight, we will have known we have had an experience with heaven. That is our prayer, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's oftentimes in messages like this that you can really expect that the devil's about to do something. I never forgot, I went with a group of people to Pakistan, and when we went there, we were doing this, you know, it was a 10-day series, and the very night that I was making a baptismal appeal, the very night, I just knew the devil was up to something. And sure enough, right before I was about to preach, I told the crew that I had come with, Look, you pay attention, you're about to see the spiritual battle take place on a level that will blow your mind away. And sure enough, right as I was speaking, just God began to really touch hearts. And as I got right down to the baptismal appeal, all of a sudden, all of a sudden this guy who comes out of nowhere, he wasn't even a student there, he gets up and starts running back and forth right in front of me. And during that time, everyone was distracted. They were paying attention to him. And as I was making that baptismal appeal, no one was watching. And all of a sudden, some very loyal students jumped on that guy, and there was a wrestling match that took place. They wrestled that guy out, and I told everybody, pay attention because God is about to do something big. And sure enough, 120 people gave their lives to Christ that night. Amen? God is up to something, and when God is up to something, be sure of this, that the devil is going to try to interrupt, try to distract, try to take away your attention from the message, because he does not want you to be blessed by God's word. Amen. Now, my name is Anel Kanda. Like Lily said, I do pastor in Central California, and I'm going to give you another announcement, and that is, I am an Indian. Some of you have noticed that over the course of the last three days. And uh, I come from a very unusual background. I come from a Hindu and Sikh background. Although they may seem contrary, in the Indian culture, in the land of India, it is called, oftentimes called the land of contradiction. So in Indian culture, that makes perfect sense. And so I also come from this unusual background of being a Punjabi. We're from the area of Northeast India called Punjab. And Punjab is known for its warrior culture. When the Muslims were trying to evade India, it was the Punjabis that repelled them. And sure enough, Sikhism was born out of that invasion. Sikhism is the culture or the religious culture that has the turbans. They also have the knives. And they also have special underwear. And so, this is the culture I came out of. It's very interesting. You see the warrior culture in a lot of the Indian ceremonies. Several years ago, I went to my sister's wedding. And right before the um, groom came, and the way the Indian weddings took place is this. The bride would be waiting inside the place, and there the family would be waiting. 
and the groom would show up with, on a white horse and a sword. And he would be surrounded by his groomsmen who would be like dancing Bhangra style all the way. You know, like they do during Asian night. Anyways, and so what happens is as the groomsman comes up, and there's like a, a dance face-off right there, the bride's male relatives, including her brothers, will stand guard right at the very entrance of the hall. And what takes place is a kind of ceremonial uh, con uh, confrontation. And so you have the groomsmen there, and they're all decorated in these beautiful things, and uh, the music is playing, the white horse is there, and everyone's just dancing. And what happens is that the bride's male relatives are just standing there very, you know, just uptight and looking very fierce and ready for a fight. And what happens at that moment is something called the milni. Can you say that word for me? Oh, oh my goodness. Milni. Very good. And so what takes place is this. There is, you have this moment where one of the male relatives will go over and he will go into the middle of this circle. And one of the bride's male relatives, her brothers, her uncles, her cousins, will go forward and they will hand each other a blanket or a shawl. At that moment, they give each other a hug and a contest takes place at that next moment. And the job is to try, in a show of superiority, lift up the other guy. And whoever can lift up the other guy wins that little tournament. And so I had never done this before. And my cousins, they told me, you better win the Milne. They kept telling me, you better win that. win that. You are her older brother. This is your contest. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, what am I up against? I was told that one of the groomsmen was American judo champ. I was hoping and praying that I didn't get him. And I was really praying. I said, God, help me to get a, a victory with my family. You see, when I became a Christian, there was a lot of altercations between me and my family. And so I was really praying that God would restore some things and show them that I'm very much the same Manel. And sure enough, so what took place is my brother, he went first. He got into that little circle. The, their party was there. Our party was there. They exchanged the gift. They didn't take their eyes off each other. And as soon as they exchanged gifts, all of a sudden they gave each other a hug. And my brother, <laughs> I hold this against him still to this day. He gets picked up and the guy just walks him over. And my brother's squirming, okay? And my brother came back and I was like, shame, 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 shame. And then they had my, then it was, it was my uncle's turn, okay? My uncles are very overweight. And you see my uncle comes like this. And their uncle, he's a bit overweight too as well. And they come up, they hand each other gifts, and then they pat each other, and they're like, okay. <laughs> and they lift each other up. And then they move apart. Then it was my turn. And all my cousins, they're egging me on. They're just like, you better get this. You better get this. You better get this. I was like, okay. And I was like, Jesus, I need some help right now. And all of a sudden, this guy comes out. He's a little bit shorter than me. And I'm just like starting to breathe heavy. I'm like, for the honor of my family. I hand him this blanket, okay? He then hands me a blanket. I set it down. I don't take my eyes off him. And all of a sudden, there's like this sumo, ratch, sumo wrestling match at insurers. And he just hits me hard, and I grab him, and it was like I had the strength of Samson all of a sudden. I broke free of his grip. I grabbed him. I picked him up. And all of a sudden, my relatives are like, ah, and they start dancing. 
it didn't just, it didn't stop there, okay? As soon as I turned around and everybody was just cheering, that guy, he charges me, okay? And he hits me from the side trying to pick me up. I just break just sort of a horse stance. I break his grip again. I pick him up and I walk him all the way over. And we forgot who was getting married that day because everyone was just cheering. <laughs> you know, and it was just a, a very interesting cultural event that takes place every time somebody gets married. And I've got to participate in a few of these. Last time I was against this really short, older gentleman. He actually ran. He actually ran away during that contest. And it's on video. You see him running off. And so you know what's interesting is that the Bible describes another wrestling match that took place. A struggle that took place. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. This is an amazing passage, and in this, we're going to be seeing some interesting things right here. We're going to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. It's the story of Jacob. And the Bible describes right here a moment when Jacob was in the, his darkest experience ever. And as he was taking a, a walk away from his family, the Bible describes all of a sudden a wrestling match took place. Take your Bible, we're in Genesis chapter 32. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. If you need more time, please say mercy. Oh, praise the Lord. All right, Genesis chapter 32, starting with verse 22. And he, talking about Jacob, arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. And Jacob was what? Left alone. Then Jacob was left alone. Now watch what takes place next. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. All of a sudden the Bible describes Jacob being apparently attacked. He's walking by himself about to face Esau and his band of men. And all of a sudden in that midnight hour when it was so dark and so alone, a hand reaches over him, touches him, and all of a sudden a wrestling match takes place and Jacob realizes that he is wrestling against a very powerful opponent. And so they're wrestling back and forth. Now watch what takes place next. It's amazing. And when he saw, he did not prevail against him. Now the question is, who wasn't prevailing here? And when he saw, he did not prevail against him. He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was at a joint as, as he wrestled with him. And he says these words, let me go for the day breaks. All of a sudden, this wrestling match that was ensuring, the man, the shadowy figure, recognized he wasn't winning the contest. And you know what he does? He decides to do a wrestling move, and he touches his hip, and Jacob all of a sudden is crippled on the side. And as he's crippled, Jacob begins to recognize he's not wrestling with any man. He is wrestling with a divine man, a divine being. And so here they are. And they're there, and all of a sudden the being cries out, let me go. When you take a good look at that and you begin to score the match, apparently this individual seemed to be losing. And he cries out, let me go for the day breaks. And Jacob, recognizing he is not wrestling with the man, but he is wrestling with the heavenly messenger, notice what he says next. I will not let you go until you what? Bless me. 
I will not let you go until you bless me. And it's very interesting. You can imagine that moment, there's just this relaxing. And notice what this being says next. What is your name? Can you imagine that? Here's this moment where the man says, what's your name? And do you know the last time Jacob was essentially asked this question? It was when he was trying to deceive his father. And his father said, who are you? And do you remember the answer Jacob gave? I am Esau. And Jacob, can you imagine that moment comes right back. It just, right at this very moment. And watch what he says next. This is amazing. He said, Jacob. There's no attempt to lie. There's no attempt to hide his identity. He says, I am Jacob the deceiver. That's who I am. He doesn't hide his identity. He doesn't hide his nature. It is who he is. And he says, I'm Jacob. Now it's so amazing. Watch what he says. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but it shall be called what? Israel. For you have struggled with what? God and have prevailed. And this is so amazing. What you see right here is that Jacob is given a brand new name. A brand new name. You know what the Bible tells us in Revelation? That one day we're going to be given brand new names. Can you imagine what your name's going to be one day? Now you're probably thinking it's going to be something like powerful warrior. And you find out it's like lonely caterpillar or something. <laughs> Great man. And you're called porcupine. But in this instance, you see right here, this being, he gives him a brand new name, and this is none other than God himself, and he says, your name isn't Jacob anymore, it's Israel. And you know what's so amazing about the word Israel? There's a lot of different Hebrew commentators that are still trying to understand that name, what it exactly means. But it's a conjunction of two words. Essentially, God wrestlers. God wrestlers. And this is so amazing because the very name given to the church of God is Israel. Which is to communicate what? That God's people are to be God wrestlers. People who struggle with God. That is the very name he gives the church. And this is a name that will continue all the way till the very end of time. Even God, when he's talking about the 144,000, 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, 12,000 12, from this tribe and that tribe. And what you begin to see is that this special name is given to God's people, not because they're perfect, because they are people who wrestle with God, people who struggle with God. You see, God has a church on earth, and it has many different names, but a special divine name given to the church of God is Israel, the people who wrestle with God, the people who struggle with God. Did you know that the church, God actually has two components to his church? Two components. He actually has a very literal, visible church on earth. Amen. And he also has an, in, an invisible church on earth. You're saying, what? That's right. God has a visible church on earth, and he has an invisible church on earth. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, am I part of the invisible church or the visible church? That's a good question. You see, God has set up a remnant movement 
that will go all the way till the end of time. But God also has the majority of his people in Babylon. And they are still his people as much as the remnant is his people. And do you know what God wants to do? He wants to establish one church, one group of people. Pulling people out of the invisible church. Ellen White says the majority of God's people are still in Babylon. They're still in Babylon. Not the systems that they are part of is righteous, but who they are. They're people who are living up to all the light that they have. And those people make up the invisible church. And what God is trying to say is, like, I want to combine the invisible church and the visible church and make one body of people. Can you say amen to that? God has a movement on earth, and this movement will continue all the way till the end of time. And there are many people, when it comes to this movement, when it comes to this boat, try to think that the boat, the church, is a cruise liner. It is not a cruise liner. It is a battleship. Amen. And this church has a mission and a message to communicate all the way till the end of time until Jesus himself will come through the clouds. And until he comes, we are called to preach this gospel. Amen. But there are many people on this ship who want to steer the ship from its course. There are other people who want to steer it this way and that way. But Jesus himself is heading out this ship and he will see that it makes it through. Oftentimes... This ship has been attacked by the enemy. Oftentimes this ship has broken through icebergs. Oftentimes this ship has begun to rust and fall apart. But the heavenly captain will see it through all the way to the harbor where it is heading. There's some people who want to slow down the ship. There's some people who want to just say, wait, let's not move anymore. Let's stay exactly in this place. But Jesus is, is guiding the ship and he will see it through. Amen. You know, when I first became a Christian, became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I never forgot about this experience. The day I was baptized, I was so excited. It was one of those moments where the potluck's a little bit special. People are giving you gifts, and I was like, praise the Lord. I'm excited to be part of the Seventh-day Adventist remnant church movement that has a mission all the way till the end of time. I was like, praise the Lord, finally I'm part of something amazing. As soon as I walked into the potluck guy, potluck room, <laughs> there was a guy that was sitting in his chair. He was one of the deacons. And he had this smug look on his face. And he was there, and he was just smiling with a toothpick in his mouth. I don't even know how people like that become deacons. And he looks right at me, and he's like, you got baptized, huh? I said, yeah, I'm excited. And he said these words. Don't worry, you'll become like one of us soon enough. And I looked at him right then and there, and I'm like, who is this joker? <laughs> you'll become like one of us soon enough. And as soon as he said that, I looked right at him, and I'm like, no way. No way. I don't want to become like that. Either I'm in 100% or I'm not. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, doesn't mean I have everything right. It doesn't mean that I can be, hey, a spiritual role model for people. Hey, I'm in 100%. And that means I'm throwing my hat into this. I'm going all the way. If Jesus has set this movement up, then I want to be with him. I want to be with him. You know, I never forgot one day. I got invited to go to a new church in the area. I had just come back from school visiting for a weekend. 
And one of my friends, she says these words. She's like, hey, there's a new church in the area. Some of the church members told me about it. Hey, they, she says, why don't we go visit? I said, okay, let's do it. And so we were driving, and I was like, where is this new church? All of a sudden, we pull into this plaza, and the plaza's mostly empty, and I'm thinking to myself, where is this church? And then she points, and she says, I think that's it. And she points to one of the buildings that had been rented out, and there was this banner, and it said these words, the Seventh-day Church. And I was like, I think they forgot a word. And she's like, yeah, that's really strange. So we're like, okay. So we walk into this church, okay? And we get there right when the church service has already started. The pastor's already speaking. And he's up there. And you know what this guy is preaching? This guy is just preaching like everybody's in apostasy. He's like, oh, yeah, this person, they're sinning against God. And he wasn't just saying these kinds of people. He was saying this person is sinning against God. He was calling people out by name. I mean, he was rebuking things left and right. And it was just so interesting. So we walked in there, and I was like, I don't think this is a Seventh-day Adventist church. And so we sit down because I didn't want that guy to look at me. <laughs> Make it to the back. And I turned to somebody. I was like, hey, is this a Seventh-day Adventist church? And they said these words, yes and no. And I was like, what do you mean? They said this, well, we're Seventh-day Adventists here, but because the Seventh-day Adventist church isn't preaching the straight truth, we don't want to be part of that. So we're part of this powerful, independent movement that's here. And I was like, really powerful. You're meeting in a condemned old building here. And so there, and uh, you know, that pastor, I mean, he was rebuking things left and right. But what he was rebuking was the church. He was rebuking the church over and over again. Everybody was like, amen, praise the Lord. It hurts. We love to hear it. And he was going back and forth, back and forth. And it was just a very, to be honest, it was just a very, like, troublesome sermon. I listened to it, and I was just like, I don't feel good about this. I just don't feel good. Something's not right here. And what we discovered was this. Some of our church members had stopped going to the local church, and they decided to join this independent movement. And so here we were, and some of them came, they said, hey, we're so glad you're here. And I was like, wow, okay, so what's this about? And they said, this guy, he's preaching the straight message, the straight truth, not like they're saying at our church, because our church doesn't preach the message anymore. Our church is starting to look like Babylon. And he said these words, and so I was like, okay. I never forgot, I looked down, and right in front of me, there was this sheet of paper and a bunch of Ellen White quotes that were rebuking some local Seventh-day Adventist minister, and I was like, Huh, that's strange. All of a sudden, one of the church members walks up, and he sees me looking. He snatches that paper, and he looks at me with these eyes like this. Don't read what's not yours. And I was like, there's a lot of angry people here. So we sat down for potluck. I always call potluck the second service. And some of those church members that had come to this independent church, they sat down, and some other people were there, and it was just a good group of people that were there. And one of them begins to talk and says, yeah, the reason I come to this church is because they preach the straight message. I said, what do you mean by straight message? He preaches rebuke to sin. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then the next person, they're sitting right across, and they're saying these words. And my pastor, when I wanted to give a Bible study, he wouldn't let me give a Bible study. That's how much he's restricting the truth from going forward. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I said, well, what Bible study did you give? And he's like, I want to give somebody a Bible study on the mark of the beast. I said, okay. 
And then another person, they're like, right after, they're like, yeah, and I don't like the conference. You know why I don't like the conference? Because it's full of a lot of corrupt men who steal all the money. As soon as they said that, everyone was like, amen, 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 amen. And so it was just like one right after the another, okay? It was like angry Adventist Anonymous right there. <laughs> and so here I am, I'm sitting down and I'm just like, ah. Oh. And then you know what somebody says that finally just calls me, just pushes me over the edge? They said these words. And the church, it's Babylon now. Now when you think of the word Babylon, I want you to think what Revelation 17 says. Babylon is a spiritual hooker. It's a spiritual prostitute. And what they were saying is that Jesus' bride is a spiritual prostitute. And so when they said that, I said, okay. And my friend, she just was like patting me on the shoulder. She's like, calm down now. Calm down. And I was like, Lord, this is the time. So I turned to the person. I turned him right, and I looked right them dead in the eyes. And I said, let me ask you a question. You said the pastor doesn't preach straight truth? I said, what are you doing in that church? Are you going around trying to witness to people? Are you trying to make friends with new people? And she was like, not really. She puts her head down. Then I turned to the person. I said, you want to give a Bible study on the mark of the beast? He's like, yeah. Was it your first Bible study? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I wouldn't give you a Bible study either. On the, if that's your first Bible study, you want to tell people Sunday is the mark of the beast? I wouldn't let you do that either. Then I turned to the person next to them who was just like, yeah, the conference is just full of a lot of corrupt people. And said, have you ever been to the conference office? Like, have you ever been there? And they're like, not really. And then I said, if you go to the conference office, you're going to find people who pray. Now, let me tell you, they are weak men like you and me, but they pray. And then I said, you, you said that the church is Babylon? I said, have you ever read the spirit of prophecy? She's like, absolutely, every single day. I said, did you know in over 11 times, Ellen White says, do not call the church Babylon over and over and over again. And everyone was just staring at me, and all of a sudden, let's pray. I made an appeal. <laughs> I made an appeal. I felt like Samson, hip and thigh, knocking them all out. Boom, boom, boom. And praise the Lord, it was the Spirit of God, okay? And so we prayed, and I stood up, and I was praying, Lord, have mercy on our sins and our judgmentalism, and bring us back to the bride of Christ. And it was so amazing, because the very next Sabbath, they all returned back to church. Praise the Lord, right? Here's the thing. There are many people who are going to tell you that the church is Babylon. They're going to say, hey, the church has lost it. It's missed its mark. But I love what Ellen White says right here. It's something so powerful, and I wish I could see it. So I'm going down right here, right now. When the religion of Christ is most held in contempt, when his law is most despised, then should our zeal be the warmest and our courage what? And firmest the most unflinching. To stand in defense of the truth and righteousness when the majority fakes us, to forsakes us, to fight the battles of the Lord when champions are food. This will be our test. At this time, we must gather warmth from the coldness of others, courage from their cowardice, and loyalty from their treason. The church may appear as about to fall, but I want you to say the last few words for me. But what? It does not fall. It remains while the sinners in Zion will be sifted out. The chaff separated from the precious wheat. This is a terrible ordeal, but nevertheless it must take place. As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth, abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. What Ellen White says is that when the storms really begin to hit this battleship that God has set up, all of a sudden many people will say it's time to abandon ship. It's time to leave the church. 
It's time to find something else. And many people who were once solid in the truth will walk away from the truth that they once held dear. If there ever is a time for us to pay attention, to watch what God is up to, it is now. She is still the apple of God's eye. Can you say amen to that? God has brought you here for a special time as this. There are movements that are taking place all over the world, and God is wanting this ship to go forward, and nothing will stop it. It may crash into that harbor. It may make it through crippled, but it's going to make it through. In fact, when you look at Revelation chapter 3, we look at all the movements of the church. There is no church after Laodicea. There is no more church. Jesus comes back. And so Laodicea is that final movement. And what we begin to see over and over again, we begin to see that God is calling us not to forsake this church, not to abandon this church, but to stick with it even when times are tough. Now, there are three lies that the devil says about the church. Three lies, and I hope I don't fall off right now. Here are the three lies that the devil tells us about the church. Number one, that God isn't really leading this church. That is a lie from the devil. Number two, you can't be relevant without compromising. That is a lie from the devil. And number three, that personal evangelism and local church participation is not your responsibility. That's exactly what the devil would have you to believe. And that is what he is what he's having that most of the young people in the church believe. And that's why many people are abandoning the ship. They're jumping overboard. These are lies straight from the pit of hell itself. The first thing I want you to pay, to, pay attention to is this lie that God isn't really leading, leading this church. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus gave a special promise to his church. And he says that the gates of hell shall not what? Prevail against it. It is God who has set up this church and only God who can take it down. God has raised up this movement that is built upon the faith of the reformers. The faith of many people who lived and died for Bible truth. The reason why you have a Bible today. The reason why you can have religious liberty today. And the freedom to attend a religious school is because of reformers who would not give up the truth as they were burning at the stake. People who would not give up the truth as they were being burnt and torn apart. They were so faithful to God. And little did they know that their blood would build the foundation known as the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We do not get our heritage from the Roman Church. We get our heritage from the Reformers. God has built this church upon their lives and their sacrifices so that this movement that could be the depository of His graces could reveal a beautiful picture about the church. You know what I love about the Seventh-day Adventist Church? It's because that what makes this church so unique, so distinct... There are many churches that have distinctiveness, but what makes this church so unusual is that no other church removes all the fears people have from God than this church. No other church does it. No other church makes God so lovable, so loving, so beautiful, so attractive than the truths that are found in this church. I never forgot when I came out and I learned the whole truth about that God doesn't burn people in hell forever and ever. I walked out of that Sabbath school and I was like, it's not everlasting punishing. It's everlasting punishment. There is an end to God's destruction. I was so blown away from this truth 
There are so many other truths that people are hungry for and wanting to know about, and God has given to us, and he's called us to carry this gospel all the way till the end of time. Can you say amen to that? But I want you to pay attention to another lie. Going back to that first lie, excuse me. I never forgot this idea. When I began to learn that the church was structured, you had, first of all, you had the local churches, and then you had the conference office, and then you have the union, and then you have the, uh, the NAD, and then you have the general conference, and then you got heaven. I was so excited about this. I was like, praise the Lord for such an organization. Praise the Lord for that. And it was so awesome because much of the organization was very transparent with a lot of things. Doesn't mean that there are perfect men in our church. In fact, as young people, we do have a privilege and a right to criticize. Amen. But with criticizing, we need to make sure we are not personally attacking these leaders. Let's make, make sure that's clear one more time. We have a right to disagree. In fact, if you're a young person, it's just natural. We just disagree with things. But in our disagreement, we need to make sure we are holding the highest respect for these leaders. I never forgot one day when I was coming to church, and the pastor, he was just preaching away, really funny-looking guy when he would be preaching. And I started laughing. I was like, <laughs> and I said, look at this guy. Look how funny he looks. And I never forgot what my friend said to me next. He tapped me on the shoulder, and he says, here's the thing, man. That's still the Lord's anointed. It's still the Lord's anointed. Now you may say, well, this person is here in this position, shouldn't be in this position. That may be your opinion. But at the same time, you need to recognize something. We need to make sure we have the highest kind of respect for these people. Amen? The other lie is that you can't be relevant without compromising. You know what I love about young people is that young people bring a vitality and an energy. Whenever they come into a room, there's almost this electricity that happens. You see a bunch of older people that are sitting at a prayer meeting, and they're just, some of them are falling asleep, and all of a sudden, a young person who comes in there, they'll sit down, and everyone's like, hey, they're awake all of a sudden. Because there's this magnetism that happens with youth. There's an energy that you have. You may feel like you're a boring person, but when you begin to enter into many of the church functions, you bring a presence. And it's a powerful presence. We have a young person who's going to our church right now. And it's so interesting. He actually studied himself into the Sabbath truth. And uh, he's like, he called me up one day. He's like, hey, Nell, when's prayer meeting? And I was like, what? He's like, I want to go to prayer meeting. I was like, okay. Got into prayer meeting. And, you know, mostly we have a lot of 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds, 90-year-olds, 100-year-olds. Adventism, we have 200-year-olds. And so, like, and so, like, He's there, and he's like a young person, one of the only young people there, and he's just smiling big, and all of a sudden, everyone's like looking at him, and they start smiling. After a prayer meeting for three years, they start smiling. <laughs> and the very next time, he's like, hey, I want to come to that too again. And I was like, what do you mean? Prayer meeting. I was like, you want to be part of prayer meeting? He's like, yeah, I love praying with people. I'm like, all right. And he comes in, and he's joining prayer meetings. And it's so amazing because he's bringing something so beautiful to our church. He is bringing energy and vitality and a love for Jesus. Amen? You know what also is amazing is that when it comes to being relevant, there's one thing about young people that's really cool is that you're connected with culture. You're aware of what's happening in the world. I never forget, I was talking to a person, someone who was much older, and I was talking to them, and I said, yeah, and I, you know, President Obama, you know, he's been, this is his second term, and someone's like, wait, who's the president? 
And I looked at them and I said, President Obama? They're like, really? I was like, who do you think, Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> and it was so cool because, I mean, that part wasn't cool, but it was just cool thinking about that young people are aware of what's happening in the world. And so what you can do is when you come into the church, a lot of people believe, oh, yeah, yeah, the only way we can get young people involved, the only things that they want to do is they want to destroy the church. They want to lead the church astray. And the devil is making the world believe that. A lot of young people believe that as well. That you're not wanted in that church. Ladies and gentlemen, you're wanted in the church. In fact, when you read Joel chapter 2, the prophecy of the Holy Spirit does not fall upon the elderly only. It falls upon young people. In fact, when you read Revelation chapter 13, the devil does not have a plan just for old people. He wants young and old to receive the mark. Just like God has a plan for your life, the devil has a plan for your life. Look at the third lie that the devil tries to promote. And that is this, that personal evangelism and local church participation is not your responsibility. You know, being a pastor, I have a big church, I also have a church plant. A lot of people, they're like, Pastor, no, we really love your sermons. We heard you on Audioverse, la, 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 la. And they'll say, we want to come to your church. I'm like, cool. I'm like, where'd you come from? And they're like, well, we came from an Adventist college. I'm like, oh, that's good. I like, what's your degree in? Well, I got a degree in nursing. And my husband got a degree in nursing, and he's also, he got a minor in theology. I said, oh, that's amazing. I said, where were you before this? Well, we went to an Adventist high school. I'm like, oh, that's great. And then I said, what about, where, uh, did you grow up in an Adventist family? They're like, yes, I grew up in an Adventist family, and they grew up in an Adventist family. I'm like, praise the Lord. And our child, we dedicated him in the church, an Adventist church, and we're excited about being part of the Adventist church. I said, praise the Lord. I said, so what do you want to do for the Lord? And they're like, well, we're actually busy, pastor. And in my mind, I'm thinking, useless. Go find another Adventist church. <laughs> it's the truth. Here's the thing. Part of your purpose in life is one day you're not going to be in Chattanooga for the rest of your life. I mean, a few of you may be in Chattanooga the rest of your life, but some of you will not. And some of you guys are going to move away. And you're going to be part of a local church. And it is part of the purposes of God that you participate in what's happening in the local church. It is one of the most frustrating things to me when people have been raised in the Adventist culture, raised in Adventist school, have beautiful gifts of singing and preaching and offering calls, whatever you name it, okay? And they don't want to be involved in the local church. And I'm like, why are you even coming to this church? This is not a cruise liner. This is a battleship. And one day you're going to move away from this place. And God isn't saying, well, go find a local church so you can just sit down and be comfortable listening to the sermons. God is saying, go find a local church so you can be involved in that church. Amen. Do you know when you look at Matthew 25 or Matthew 24, you find the signs of the second coming? Now, we can probably name one of the signs. You can read Google News. You'll read one of the signs. Earthquakes. Bad stuff with morality. false Christ. Oh, you're like, yes, we know all that stuff. Here's the thing. Most people know about the signs of Christ's return, but what is a failure by a lot of Christians is the very next chapter. A failure to read it. You want to know what Matthew 25 is? Matthew 24 is the signs of Christ's return. Matthew 25 is the signs of Christ in his people at the end of time. So everybody's like, we're ready for end time events. We're ready for prophecy to be fulfilled. And at the same time, they're like, but we're not involved in church. 
We're ready for like the Antichrist and the papacy and all the blah, 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 blah. And they're there. They're ready. But they're like, we don't got time to be involved in church. And they fail to read the most important part, which is Matthew 25. You know, Jesus begins Matthew 25 with a very interesting parable. It's called the parable of the talents. And you know what he says in this this parable about the talents? Many of you guys know this parable, and you can tell me, yeah, I know exactly what this parable says. Take a good look at what the Bible says right here. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man, I can't read sideways, traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave how many talents? Five. And to another he gave what? And to another he gave what? And to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five went and traded with them and made another five talents. And he, and likewise, he who had received two talents, two more. But he who had received one, one went and dug it in the ground and hid the Lord's money, like that couple did. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and he wanted to settle accounts with them. Now this is very interesting. I'm going to ask you a question right now. We know what this story, we've heard it a million times. Did you know that every person has a talent? An ability that God has given to them. Now you may think, I do have a talent, but it's not that valuable. Did you know, in Bible times, one talent was worth a year's wages? Every talent is valuable. But you want to know what is very interesting? The guy that had one talent, how many talents did he make? All you have to do is look right there. And I'll tell you the answer. Reading is a talent. Amen? I know you can read. Amen? The guy that had one talent, how many talents did he make? Good. The guy that had two talents, how many talents did he make? Two. The guy that had five talents, how many talents did he make? Wrong. He made six. He made six talents. He didn't make five talents. He made six talents. You're like, Pastor, it says five talents there. He made six talents. He made six talents. You know that? You're like, wait, where did he make six talents? Read the rest of the story. The Bible then says that the man who made two was given two, and the guy that had five, he made five, but he was also given the extra talent that belonged to the guy that decided to hide the talent. Which tells us there are not two categories here of people who use their talents and people who don't use their talents. There are three categories here. People who don't use their talents, people who use their talents, and people who use their talents to the utmost, and they receive a special, mysterious blessing on top of that. Now the question is, which guy are you? Or female are you? Are you the one that doesn't, that hides their talents? Are you simply the one that just exchanges what's been given to you? Or you're the person that's been given great responsibility and you're using your responsibilities and now you begin to discover you have a strange talent that is now developing. You find three categories, not two. God has given to each person a talent and he wants them to use them in the local church. Now, true story, true story. There are... Three kinds of talents. Not three categories of talents, three kinds of talents. Ready for this? There are talents some people are born with. Some people are just born with certain talents. Come out playing the piano. They come out singing. They're born leaders. They have natural talents that begin to be seen early on. And then there are people who cultivate talents. 
They get practice. They get training. Now you're saying, but what's the third category? Talents that take a very long time to cultivate. You have people who are born with talents, people who cultivate talents, and people who will cultivate talents for the rest of their life. What do I mean by that? There was an opportunity I had when I first joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was so excited about this. I said, okay, God, I'm really excited about the church. I'm really excited what you're doing. The pastor calls me up, and he says, Anel, I want you to give the offering call. And I'm like, I could do this. I took speech class. <laughs> so I got up there. I was so excited about it. Still have the video and the pictures of it. I stood there, and I was like, I knew what I was going to say. Got up there. I looked down at the paper that had the tithe and offering call. I looked at it, and I said, okay, the uh, tithe and offering call for the Fullerton Seventh-day Adventist Church is. And I looked up at the crowd, and I heard someone giggle way off in the corner. <laughs> and I stared at the paper, and I could not read anymore. And I was just staring there, and I held the pulpit like this, and the pulpit started shaking a little bit. And I didn't know where I was. It was so bad. Five minutes, I was silent. The pastor walked up there. He put his arms around me, and he said, what Anel is trying to say is that the tithe and offering call is for our local conference advance. Would the deacons please stand and rise? And I was like, And then he walked me off like just a, a little special boy. <laughs> His little special son who couldn't do anything right, right? <laughs> Had trouble. And so there I was. So I was just like, I messed up so bad, okay? And I was like, God did not give me the gift of speaking. I know that for a fact. Did you know the number one fear in America is public speaking? Number two is death. People actually fear public speaking over, they'd rather die, literally die, than go up to speak. It's the truth. I'd rather die before speaking. Literally, they'll put on a survey, death is preferred over public speaking. I mean, I was terrified of public speaking. I messed up so bad. And then when I, when I, when I became, was studying to become a pastor, I never forgot what somebody told me. They're like, Anel, you know, being a pastor, it doesn't start when you get your degree. It starts now. And I was like, okay, I can give prayers to people one-on-one. -on -one. And it was so interesting. The first month I was studying to become a pastor, I was sleeping, and I woke up because of this terrible nightmare I had. You know what happened in this nightmare? Doug Batchelor had this church near Weimar. And in this nightmare, I was in the front row, and someone's like, Pastor Bachelor's not here, and they look right at me and they said, Anel, we need you to speak. <laughs> and so I walked up on stage, and all of a sudden this blinding light hit me, and I woke up in a cold sweat. I woke up, I was just terrified. I was like, <sighs> and I was so afraid of speaking. I was so bad at it. And I was like, God didn't give me this talent. He surely did not give me this talent. But I began to pray. I said, Lord, you've called me to be a pastor. I've got to learn how to do this. So I began to do something. And I really want to challenge you with this. When God has given you a talent, you need to commit that talent to him every single day. So I started saying, okay, God, I am praying about this talent. And you know what? I began to read every single day for a whole year. I read the chapter in Exodus where God speaks with Moses and he says, I will be with your mouth. 
So every single day I'd wake up and pray and say, Lord, you said you'd be with my mouth. 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 365 days I prayed this prayer. And you know what God began to do? He began to give me small opportunities. No one asked me to do a sermon. They said, Anel, can you do the welcome? And I would spend 30 minutes in preparation to do a two-minute welcome. I'd walk up there. Even my walk, I was very careful with it. I'd walk up there, made sure I smiled, had two sets of notes in case one I could not read anymore. <laughs> Hi, I just want to welcome everybody to Weimar College. Thank you so much for coming to this convocation weekend. God bless you. It was so terrifying. I mean, I would, I would take, it was so bad. I mean, so bad. And so I began to pray. And you know what God began to give me? He began to give me small opportunities. What's so amazing is that when you start praying, God give me, uh, give me time to develop my talent. You know what he starts doing? He may not give you big opportunities. He'll start giving you small opportunities. And as you see those small opportunities keep coming more and more, be faithful to them, and you're going to see God develop your talent more and more. So number one, commit your talent to God, even if you're not good at it. Number two, start praying for opportunities. Start praying for opportunities. I never forgot, I was coming right down to the summer, I was like, I'm going to be a camp counselor, excited about that. And somebody says to me, Nicole Parker, she says, I know you need to be a call porter. And I said, I am not being a call porter. She says, you need to do it for one summer. And I said, I'm not doing it for a whole summer. And what was so strange is one day she cornered me and she began to talk to me. And finally I was convicted about it and I said, fine, I'll do it. I'll do canvassing for one whole summer. I'll sell Christian books. I am not a little short Asian girl. I am a six foot tall hairy Indian. It's not going to work very well, but I'll do it. And so what's so amazing, God began to just help me at the doors. I began talking to people at doors. Knocking on doors, and I begin to just say, hey, my name is Anel, I'm a student working on a scholarship, and you know, la la la. And so I began to sell books. In fact, one day the canvasser leaders told me, hey, we need you to preach a sermon. And I said, okay, I'll preach a sermon. And so I preached my first sermon. And let me tell you, it was the worst sermon I have ever preached in my entire life. I messed up so bad, okay? As soon as I walked off, I didn't even go up to the front to greet people's hands. I made my way around the back of the church. I even skipped Pollock, and you know that's crazy. And I got to the van, and I sat in the back seat sweating in the van. And I was just there sulking because how terrible of a sermon it was. It was that bad. You know, oftentimes God gives us failure in our talent use to drive out self. He was driving, he was purging, he was like putting me on fire right there, burning stuff up. And so there I was, and all of a sudden one of the little canvassers comes in, 15-year-old kid, he knocks, he's like, hey, what are you doing in the van, Anel? And I was like, you heard that terrible sermon. And he's like, let me ask you a question. I said, yeah. He's like, when you first started selling books, how many books do you sell a day? I don't know, two or three? He's like, how many books do you sell now? I go, seven or eight. He's like, how'd you change? I did it every day. And he's like, yeah, the same thing. He closes the door. I'm like, that's the wisest thing this little kid ever said to me. <laughs> Just like that. I mean, it was like little Solomon came to the van that day. <laughs> so I said, okay, God, you want me to keep preaching? I'm terrible at it, but I'm going to keep doing it. And you know what CH, uh, uh, HMS Richards called the church? He called it the ministry of mistakes. In other words, it's an opportunity for you to grow your talent, to try out your talent. 
Don't hide your talent. Even if you're horrible about something, you try it out. And you say, okay, God, I'm going to do it, except for singing. If you're just bad at singing, you get lessons, and you keep working at that, okay? No, that applies the same thing as well, same dynamics. No one is born a singer. No one is born a singer. Well, some people are, but no, most people are not, okay? And so you know what began to happen? I began to get more opportunities to preach. Somebody says, Anel, we need you to run the youth tenant camp meeting. And I said, okay, I've never even been to a camp meeting. What's a camp meeting? And they're like, it's these tents where Adventists hang out at. <laughs> okay. So I went to camp meeting for my very first time, and I ran the youth tent. Didn't know what I was doing half the time. I even preached a sermon, okay. And I preached a sermon on the last day, and I'm like, I'm going to make my first baptismal appeal. First ever baptismal appeal. Here it is. And so I began to preach, and I said, I'm going to make an appeal right now. Who would love to get baptized? Nobody came up. I looked up at the crowd and I said, who would like to get baptized? Nobody came up. Then I was like, we're done. That's how I ended it. I ended it like that, okay? Just like that. Now you're laughing at me. But when you start using those talents, I'm going to be recording you as well. And so there I was. I mean, I messed up, but I was like, okay, God, you still call me to do this? I'm messing up, and you're burning out self. You're burning out. A, there must be a lot of self in me because you're giving me failure after failure after failure after failure. And these aren't the kind of failures where nobody knows about. When you fail in preaching, everybody knows about it. And so here I was. I was just messing up. But it was so amazing because two people came up to me right afterwards. They're like, we were just afraid to go up forward, but we want to get baptized. It's like, praise the Lord. God gave, began to give me courage more and more. I began to get more opportunities to preach. And so I was like, okay, God, help me to be faithful. And sometimes I do well, sometimes I would not. The very last part of the school year, I was sitting down with the, the group of men that were in that dorm. My dean walks in. He's like, all right, got a request. Sac Central Church, Doug Baxter, Doug Baxter's church. He can't be there. I need somebody to preach. And my hand shot up, and I'm like, what am I doing? He's like, I know you're up. And he walks right out. I never forgot. I walked up to the pulpit. There was like a lot of people there. And I said these words, God has fulfilled my nightmare. <laughs> he was putting me through the furnace. Putting me through the furnace. Putting me through the furnace. He was purging out a lot of self. But here's the thing. If I had given up when I had messed up, I probably would not be growing. I would not be growing. I would not be improving. You've got not to be afraid of taking risks for God, even when you look foolish. Do you know that the clan that I come from, the warrior clan, I was reading a British article about them because the British used to employ people from my clan, the warrior clan, and put them in the front of the army for two reasons. I was reading the article and it said these words. Number one, because they were brave, and number two, because they were stupid. Literally, that's what it said. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness. Sometimes God calls us to, you know, into a scene or a moment, an opportunity, and we may look foolish and we may think to ourselves, what am I doing? But God is saying, risk it. Risk it. In fact, you want to know what is so amazing? You may discover your career. You're like, what do you mean by that? Look what Ellen White says right here. It's something quite amazing. She says these words. We need to follow more closely God's what? 
plan a life, to do our best in the work that lies near us, to commit our ways to God and to watch for indications of his providence. Now notice this, these are what? You know what a rule is? It's a law. These are laws or rules that ensure safe guidance in the choice of a what? She actually gives a formula for discovering what your occupation may be. Notice that. Number one, to do your best in the work that lies near us. As you begin to pray for more opportunities, you may find God open up opportunities in a particular path over and over again. And that may be God's marker saying, hey, I want you to start heading in this direction. And you may be surprised as God continues to open opportunities more and more in this path. He may be calling you to that. But number two, you're not to stop there. You're to say, God, I'm giving you all my plans. I'm giving you my future. It doesn't mean you shouldn't plan, but it does mean you sub submit your plans to his plan. And number three, you start watching for indications of providence. You start watching and saying, wait a minute, are things just happening in unusual ways? Is the extraordinary happening in what appears to be the ordinary? And as you begin to do this, you're going to start recognizing God is calling me into this direction. He's pointing me in this direction. And as I begin to pray for more opportunities, God kept opening more opportunities for me to speak. I never forgot when I went to India. And uh, I was in India and there was like a thousand Hindus and Muslims I was preaching before. And I was preaching and my friend was sitting in the front row. And he's a pastor, been pastor for several years. And he's like, I know, I want you to give the baptismal appeal. I was like, last time I made the baptismal appeal, two people came up, and it wasn't when I was doing the baptismal appeal. It was after I did the baptismal appeal. And he's like, I want you to give it. So I was like, okay. So I preached, shared my testimony. And I started making this baptismal appeal, and nobody got up. And I looked at my friend. He's like, keep going, keep going. Then I was like, who'd like to give their life to Christ? Nobody got up. Ten minutes, I was watching the clock, and my friend's like, better keep going. And I was like, they're Indian people. We don't respond emotionally to things. And so there we are. And he just keeps taking me on. Keep going, keep going. And five, just like, who wants to give their life to Jesus? One person way in the back gets up. They get up and they said, they just start walking in front of everybody. And it was so amazing because as soon as they got up, the entire back row all got up and they all made their way forward. They were just waiting for one person, terrified. Some of them were making decisions against their parents' wishes to become Christians, and they were afraid. And it took one person who was willing to have courage. He walked up to the front, and all of a sudden, people didn't stop coming up to the front, and it was so amazing. Over 100 people were coming up to the front, and people didn't stop coming, and it was just amazing. And God was doing amazing things, and I was like, I can't believe it. And I began to pray. I said, God, give me more opportunities. And all of a sudden, I get this invitation to go to Saipan, and then an invitation to go to England, invitation to go there and there. And I was thinking, Lord, I'm not even that good at speaking, but you keep opening up opportunities. See, when you give your life to Jesus and you begin to say, God, I'm going to commit my talents to you, whatever they may be, you may be surprised, all of a sudden other talents will begin to emerge that you never thought were present. And there is a skillful hand, a heavenly skillful hand that is now awakening dormant faculties in your mind. And all of a sudden you're beginning to do things you never did before. And then you never thought you had an ability in. And God began to give me more and more gifts and opportunities. And it was so amazing. I never forgot one time I was, my sister came to me and she's like, Anel, you know I'm getting married? I want you to share something up front at the wedding. 
And I was like, you know that they, the relatives don't like me because I'm a Christian. And she's like, I want you to do it. And I was like, you know the wedding starts in five minutes. <laughs> and she's like, I want you to do it. Then I was like, you know that there's a drunk guy that is hosting the whole, he was, he was like, hey, I want to welcome everybody. I mean, he was just drunk, falling apart. And I was like, ugh. Then I said, okay, I'll do it. And, I, and you know, as I never forgot, all the parts in the wedding ceremony took place. And I was just like praying, Jesus, there are Hindus, Muslims here, 500 of them. And I was like, God, if you want me to share something for you, you will give me the right words. I get up there, and as I was walking up there, I never forgot my relatives. They were like, look at him, he's still not married. <laughs> no, no. And I could hear them as they were saying it, and they're just shaking their heads like this. <laughs> I still remember the scene. And I got up there, and I was just like, and I gave a five-minute talk about marriage. And it wasn't anything powerful. I wasn't preaching. I was just like, and this is marriage, and, you know, I will be praying for you. And I never forgot, I walked off that stage, and everyone stood up, and my uncles were like, You know, and I was like, and one of my, even my sister, she was just in tears, and it was such an amazing thing. And even my uncles, they were like, they were like drunk, but they came up to me, and they were like, we, have, we were so blown away, we want you to pray for us. And I was like, God, you give me opportunities I don't even deserve. And one of my sister's best friends happened to be the speech and debate teacher at Long, Long Beach State University, and she was like, that's the best wedding speech I ever heard. And I'm thinking to myself, that was five minutes of what you hear at every wedding but the Spirit of God was moving. The Spirit of God was using my abilities as weak as they are, and the Spirit of God wants to use your ability. He has called you to be part of the local church. Amen? He has called you to use your talents. He has not called you to hide your talents. He has not called you to put the talents somewhere else. He has called you to use your talents, to multiply your talents. And if there ever is a time that God is calling young people to take up the position that many of the old standard bearers are starting to move away from many of the bright lights that are starting to go out it is now if there ever is a time god is saying it's time to get on this ship to hold on and to get involved it is now god has raised up this movement for such a time as this and he is calling you to be part of it this isn't the time to walk away and say well i've had enough god is saying get involved start praying for opportunities start using those talents and i will do wonders through you I will do amazing wonders through you. If there ever is a time God is calling his people, it is now. Can you say amen to that? You may be somebody who thinks to yourself, I don't got any purpose in this church. I don't have any talents. You are exactly the kind of material that God wants to use. The Bible describes in Isaiah or Jeremiah. Jeremiah one day was called to go look through this guy's window. He looks in this guy's window and he sees this guy making clay. And as he's making clay, clay base, it falls apart in his hand. The Bible says it was marred in his hands. Jeremiah's watching. And all of a sudden, the, the man doesn't throw away the clay. He begins to reform it. And as he's reforming it, it's turning into another beautiful kind of vessel. And I love what God says to Jeremiah. As this clay is in the hands of of this man are you not in my hands also 
You may be marred clay, messed up clay, broken clay, hardened clay. But God is calling you to be moldable in the hands of the Almighty. To let Him shape you and mold you. There are amazing things that are happening in this world. And there are dark things that are coming upon our church. And if there ever is a time that God is calling people to stand in their place it is now. If there ever is a time that God is calling His people to start carrying the banner, it is now. If there ever is a time that God is calling His people to make a stand and saying, I'm in. I'm in the church. And I'm going all the way. I'm not going to just be in the church. I'm going to start using my talents. Whatever I'm called to be, lawyer, doctor, engineer, pastor, evangelist, whatever it is, I'm in. This is God's remnant movement. I'm in. God has raised up this movement for this time and he is calling you to start making those steps and saying, God, no more. No more am I staying where I'm at. I want to follow you. I want to be committed to you. How many people today want to say, Lord, I'm in. I'm in the church. I'm in. We're going to do something special. Not only if you've made that commitment, but you say, God, I want to start using my talents, whatever they are. Even if you feel like you have zero talents, God will show you what your talents are. I want you to say, God, I want to start using my talents. And when you pray that prayer, that's a dangerous prayer. You're giving God opportunity. You're giving God opportunity to use you in his remnant end time movement. And if that's your desire, I want you to come up to the front. You say, God, I want to start using my talents, whatever they are. Whatever they are. You feel singing is your talent? You want to, I want to commit your talent. You want to commit your talent to God. Speaking canvassing, you name it, door to door. If you can talk, that is a talent. You're saying, God, I want to use my abilities for you. There is not, there is a time that is coming upon our church, a time that is so dark, but Jesus will lead this church straight through, and he has called us not to abandon it. I see so many young people walking away from church. I see so many people moving away from the places that God has called them to be. But it doesn't have to be your life. It doesn't have to be you that walks away. You know what's so amazing about the 144,000? Not just if they're a spiritual or little number, but you know what's so amazing? When you read Revelation 7, it says there are 12,000 in this tribe, 12,000 in this tribe, 12,000 in that tribe. They're being numbered out of Israel. What's the big deal? In Old Testament, the only people that were numbered out of Israel were the warriors. Moses numbered during a time of war and it was necessary. David numbered during a time of peace and he wasn't supposed to. But when he numbered during a time of war, God approved. And so when you're seeing this numbering with 144,000, God is trying to let us know these are not your ordinary people. These aren't ordinary churchgoers here. This group of people are those who are committed to fight in this struggle until the day he comes back. There ever is a time that God is calling you to come back to the church with renewed effort and to say to yourself, no more sitting down, but I want to be involved. I want to be part of what you're doing, Lord. You're going to be blown away because God is starting to raise this sleeping giant. This sleeping giant is starting to awaken. And God's people are starting to awaken to this great cause. There ever is a time to join God's army. It is now to be on the ship all the way to the very end. It's now.
I invite the musicians up to the front. And as they're singing this song, I want you to close your eyes. And in this moment of singing, I want you to make it your prayer. God, draw me close to you. The song is about Jacob, the man who wrestled with God, the God wrestler who became Israel, the kind of people God wants in his church, Jacob's, people who wrestle with God. Make this your prayer and your consecration. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you that the church is the object of your affection and you are watching it right now with deep interest. And we know that angels are here as well in attendance. And God, as we commit ourselves to you, to this movement, we don't come to you as people who are there and have achieved or have any kind of real ability, but we come to you as we are, Lord, like Jacob. And Lord, we want you to bless us. We commit our talents to you. And we pray we would start giving us opportunities even now to start using our gifts and abilities for you. May we walk out from this place with our hearts stirred because we know you have heard our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.